Good morning. Whoa. So, as it turns out, I find out that Advent is a little bit tricky. I didn't know that until I did some research. See, I couldn't remember what the theme was for the fourth Sunday of Advent today. So I googled it. And it turns out it depends on who you ask. Because some people say it's peace, some people say it's hope, some people say it's love, some people say it's joy. Go figure. So I decided just to skip all of that and we're just going to talk about the birth of Jesus and what it means for you and me. I hope that's okay. Let's pray. Father, right now we are asking that you would cause your word to come alive in us, that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would have your way in our hearts and bring hope and peace and love and joy into us this day. And Lord, we thank you that you will because you're faithful. Amen. Amen. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, we might say that uh, when the correct time had, had finally come. You know, in the, uh, in the automobile industry, there is a pretty common term today. It's JIT, J-I-T, JIT delivery. Anybody know what that means? That's exactly right, just in time. And, and the idea, it's used in other industries, but it started in the automobile industry because what they do is they have the parts delivered just in time. So they're not tying up a lot of money in inventory. It's not sitting around for a long time. So, so the parts get delivered today and tomorrow they put them on the car. And it's a really cool idea unless something goes wrong in the delivery process or lots of other possibilities. But when you're dealing with the almighty creator of the world, he doesn't have any delivery problems. And so his delivery, if you will, was just in time. It wasn't, the timing wasn't an accident. It wasn't happenstance. It didn't just kind of come along. And, you know, way back in the third chapter of Genesis, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When God spoke those words, thousands of years before Jesus' birth, the, from, from a human perspective, the clock started ticking, if you will, for the Messiah to be born. And for roughly 4,000 years of history, the right time didn't come, but finally it came. Now, keep in mind that when Jesus was born, there had been 400 years of no prophetic voice in Israel. And when Jesus was born, there were some people we know from Scripture, there were some people that were looking for a Messiah. But I got to think that 400 years of no communication had left a whole bunch of people wondering, is this even a possibility? In 400 years is a long time. Think about it. The pilgrims... First Thanksgiving was celebrated in 1621, 400 years ago. Think of how much has happened since then. It was just over 400 years ago that the first slaves were brought to the New World in 1619. 400, four centuries, that's a long time for no communication. And so I got to think there are some people who are going, this isn't going to happen. A lot of people have just kind of given up hope. 
Maybe it seemed futile to them at that point, but God hadn't forgotten. His timing was perfect. It was just the right time. Now, some people might think, well, you know, God said, well, this, this is as good a time as any. But I want to show you some, I think, amazing coincidences, coincidences, that happened that made this, from even a, a, a natural perspective, just the right time. This was during the, the Roman Empire. I need that slide about the, the Roman Empire. Yeah. So that's like, this is just gigantic. Look at how much that encompasses. And during this time, this was what was known as the Pax Romano, the, the peace of Rome. It began, from, from history we know, it began from 27 BC and went until 180 AD. So there's this huge time of peace going on. And all during this time, there's no major wars. There's no um, extended strife going on. There, there's, there's no big event that would focus everybody's attention in one place. So that made it easier because there's peace in the world. There's not a big thing going on. It made it easier for God to, can, can I say, put Jesus center stage and cause people to look at him. Now, along with that, Rome, this is a, you're going to think this is kind of random here, but Rome invented concrete. Okay, that's nice, Tom. But what that means is they paved roads. All right, that's a little different than how we think, but that's what that is. That's blocks that they had made, and they paved roads with it. So guess how many miles of roads Rome paved? Well, not millions, but 50 thousand miles of this is back at the time of jesus we're not talking big equipment like we've got now Fifty thousand miles of roads that's depending on where you measure from that's enough to go 17 times across our country that's a whale of a lot of roads you guys you with me and because of the peace, and because of now these nice paved roads, guess what? The message could go forth easily from his disciples and their disciples. I think maybe it was just the right time. Uh, along with that, there was this other biggie that happened to happen at exactly that time, and that is that there were, there were two primary languages in the world. There was Latin and there was Greek. And the, the language of commerce, the language of the common people, was Koine Greek. You might remember what that is. That's what our Bibles, our New Testament, was written in. There was the classical Greek, that's more scholarly, but this is the everyday folks. This is how business was transacted. And of course, people had their own languages. You know, the Jews still spoke Hebrew, but everybody understood Koine Greek because you had to in order to be able to communicate in this big world now. And because of that, the message could go forth to virtually everyone. This was an unprecedented time since the Tower of Babel. Think about it. One language that was universal. I think maybe this was just the right time. This wasn't an accident. Now, we know that along with the good things, there were also some bad things that happened. And of course, God being sovereign, he still even used those. Th think about it. Rome was, Rome was this all-powerful government 
they subjugated entire cultures. They, they, they uh, made slaves out of people. I mean, there were pe- a lot of people that died. It was brutal. It was Rome's way or else, and you didn't want the or else, okay, because it wasn't pretty. And so there were a lot of people that this was a really rough time for them. But you know what? God used that because there were a lot of people who were welcoming the message of a Savior who would give not only life here, but eternal life with God. That's a message they needed to hear. And then on top of all of that stuff, all those coincidences in the natural, all right? On top of all that, think about the, the, the prophetic words that came forth in the Old Testament. You know, there are, there are 300 different references in the Old Testament to when and where Jesus was going to be, be born and who he would be and why he was coming, all of those things. I'm not going to go through all 300, but I'm going to give you three that I think are pretty significant. First one from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from, old, from of old, from ancient days. So think about this. That meant that instead of just Israel, not, not the entire world, but now Israel, okay, but instead of just Israel, it has to be from somebody who came from Bethlehem originally. So we're, we've narrowed this down just ridiculous. This is like the, the, uh, the Messiah is going to come from Goldman, Missouri, not exactly your major metropolitan area. You with me? And yet, you know, the odds of that are, are, are ridiculous, and yet it happened. We know it happened. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, so inside of this very small subset that we already have, now we have to find a virgin girl who still believes after 400 years that the Messiah is actually coming. We're now so minuscule that that odds can't even be, be announced for. And yet God did it. It was just the right time because Mary was there. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, according to history, the the sensualness of Rome, the, the debauchery of the Roman Empire had reached unprecedented levels, at least post flood Uh, unprecedented levels. Uh, Honestly, Rome at that point reminds me a lot of 21st century America. Mankind was in need of a savior in more ways than one, and he was born into that time to bring God's forgiveness and mercy. And you know, honestly, I think that had the Messiah not come, had he not established his church, I'm not sure mankind would even still be around. Paul Bilheimer was an an author and a pastor and a popular teacher before his passing some time ago. He said this, if it were not for the purifying and preserving influence of the church on earth, the fabric of all we call civilization would totally disintegrate, decay, and disappear. And I think he's right. If we're just left to our own devices without a savior we got no hope at all. 
So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. It was just the right time. So all of that is kind of backstory to what I really want to share with you, but it's important backstory because we need to, to understand that God is indeed in control. Uh, think about it. How did a, how did a religion um, that was started by just a few people, if you will, on the backside of the Roman Empire grow to become the dominant religion in the world? Well, everything that I just told you helped to spread that word really, really fast. Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. I mean, any time before, say, I don't know, 50 years earlier or before. So if Jesus had come 200 years before he really did, it would have hindered the message immensely. And yet it was just the right time. And God had that plan. God's timing was perfect in all of it. So as we look at Christmas today, I want us to remember that God is sovereign, and that is still true today. You know, whatever you might be facing in your life today, it didn't catch God by surprise. He's still in control. He is still ruling and reigning. So during the Advent Christmas season, we look forward to Jesus coming as a baby, um, symbolically, all right? We know that he already came, so that's a symbolic looking forward. We also look forward to his coming again as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who will set all things right, who will make all things new. And that's not a symbolic looking forward. That's, that's reality. He's gonna complete all things. So all of that kind of introduction. Now I wanna look at Christmas for a minute and uh, let us get some understanding here. Uh, Mark Altrogi, he's one of my favorite, all-time all favorite songwriters, he wrote this. He said, Jesus' birth is the story of light breaking into darkness, of hope bursting into gloom. It is the story of sadness being undone and the demonic rulers being overrun. It is the story of the king of kings becoming a lowly, grasping, nursing, crying baby. It is the story of hidden glory. The Christmas story is the story of a great warrior coming to rescue a helpless people. It's the story of grit and blood and a rugged cross that awaited the newborn babe. The soft flesh of the babe would soon be punctured by nails. The smooth skin of the child would soon be ripped apart by a whip. Wow, that's a little different than how we usually think at Christmas, isn't it? But, but he's right. And, and don't misunderstand, it's not wrong for us to, to, to think about Jesus coming as a baby. I, I think part of that, or that is part of the amazing mystery of the whole story that that God's son would come to earth, not as the ruling monarch, but as a helpless infant. I mean, that's, that's crazy talk right there. But that infant baby would one day die on a cross. And that's, that's the whole point of him coming. You know, I had heard somebody years ago say that they thought Jesus' death was, was all an accident that wasn't supposed to happen that way. But no, that, they haven't read the Bible clearly because clearly that was the point of him coming. If it's not for his, his death and resurrection, we wouldn't even be talking about his birth. It would be pretty insignificant. It doesn't make any sense at all. And think about it. God protected that baby in so many ways. I mean, infant mortality back then was way higher than it is now. And think about how uh, even, even like sending them to Egypt and supplying apparently for that through the Magi's gift I mean, just the ways that God protected him. But God's still the same today. 
and he's with you. He hasn't changed. His character hasn't been altered. He's still loving and he's still faithful. He's still compassionate. He's still caring. And God wants you to know today that he loves you just like he loves Jesus. Think of Jesus praying in John 17. He said, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. He loves you this morning in the same way that he loves Jesus. That's mind-boggling to me. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that one. I've been reading a book called All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon, and Spurgeon said this, who would have thought that the just ruler dying for the unjust rebel, I love that, the just ruler dying for the unjust rebel, you and me, he also said, gratitude for such favor stands dressed in robes of wonder. And I think that's right. I think we should be wearing robes of wonder every time we recognize that Almighty God sent His Son to take our punishment that we deserved and gave us life and gave us relationship with Him. All right, I'm pretty sure that we're all familiar with the the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. I want to read a little bit of that, but I'm going to start later. I'm going to start in verse 8 because there's some things here I think that that we need to look at. In the same region, there were shepherds out over the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger and when they saw it they made known to them the saying that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, make sure we got the context here. Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem. They're in the stable, um, probably a cave, likely surrounded by animals there, all right? And Mary delivers her, her son, no modern conveniences, no medicine to ease the pain. He's wrapped in strips of cloth to keep him warm. And then what in my mind is kind of a, I don't know, just this crazy twist in the story, God the Father sends out a birth announcement. Now, for those of you that are, are, are younger, um, you have to understand, back before the internet, birth announcements were sent out. You know, a lot of times maybe it was told immediately to family by, by uh, telephone or something like that, but maybe cards were sent out. You know, now that has all changed. Yesterday on, on Facebook, give me that next slide, Zadok. Have you guys seen this? This is from Nat- Natalie, formerly Roth, Russell. Okay, this isn't actually a birth announcement. It's a, a baby announcement, all right? But, so that, that's how it's done today, okay? Um, we, you know, everybody knows immediately, quickly, but that's not how it used to be done because we didn't have the technology to do that kind of thing. So a long time ago, um, like back 
when we had little kids, um, things were sent out, maybe mailed out, whatever. And so, so, so this, is a, this birth announcement, though, is, is unlike any birth announcement that has ever happened in the history of mankind. And it should be. This is, this is the Son of God come to earth. This is not once in a lifetime. This is once in history kind of birth that's going on here. And so it's, it's perfectly understandable how the angels would be excited about this. You know, but, but I want you to think about how this whole thing goes down. Who does the birth announcement go to? Because it seems crazy to me. I think about it. If, if, if Caesar's wife had a baby, fast forward, if the queen of France, hundreds of years later, has a baby, who is going to get the birth announcements? It's going to be the royal family. It's going to be uh, those in, in government positions. It's going to be those that have the right education, the right background, the right pedigree, right? That's what's going to happen. Uh, you can guarantee that it is not going to be sent to carnival workers, to cement truck drivers, to garbage collectors. It's not going to go to chimney sweeps. Sorry if any of you are part of those professions. Uh, it's going to go to those that are notable, if you will, right? That's what's going to happen. And there in Bethlehem, the most amazing birth of all time, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God's own son is being delivered, is being born this night. And who gets the birth announcement, it's not the mayor of Bethlehem. It's not the, the high priest back in Jerusalem. It's not Herod. It's not even Caesar. No, it goes to a group of shepherds. And you and I both know that, that shepherds, that was kind of a lowly position. They didn't really count, if you will. So, so when we recognize all of that, then the, the, the obvious question to my mind becomes, why? Why shepherds? I mean, why? this seems like a travesty. Why not send it to people that really count? Why, why, can I say it this way and not have offend too many people, why waste it on shepherds? That seems crazy. And I'm guessing that perhaps in God's economy there were other reasons but I want to focus in on one reason, and that is that God seems to regularly focus in on those that everybody else thinks don't really count. That he offers his life and his grace to people that society would say don't really matter. Jesus did that all during his his visible earthly ministry. He ministered to those who were down and out, the outcast, he, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners like you and me. He repeatedly showed compassion to those that society said weren't worth it. And that's the same thing that happened the night of his birth. And I think the reason was that Jesus was saying, you do matter to me. I'm telling you because I want you to know that you count. And he's saying the same thing to you and me here today. That you count, you matter to him. 
doesn't matter what the world might say about you. You matter. You know, it's possible that right now in your life, maybe you feel stuck in a circumstance, maybe a job situation, whatever. Maybe, maybe you've suffered a loss of some kind. Maybe you're, maybe you're grieving right now during this Christmas season. Maybe someone that you know is struggling in some area of their life with a sickness or whatever. Maybe, like a lot of people right now, maybe you're just unsettled about the future. Whatever the issue might be, the Lord wants you to know that He's not forgotten you this morning. He's with you. You know, we're, we're heading into Christmas almost here and like the old song says, the most wonderful time of the year. And it can be, but there are some people for whom it can be a difficult time. Years ago, my mom had a stroke on Christmas night. Passed away a few days later. It's hard not to remember that this time of year. Some of you have heard me quote from my friend Beck, Beck Gamble in the past. She wrote this, I'm not okay. I hate wrestling with the pain of life at Christmas time. It's supposed to be a season of beauty and wonder, right? I had an unsettling dream last night. It left a gnawing ache in my heart. So many things in my life I can't heal, I can't help. I can't heal my own wounds of painful and disappointing years in ministry. I can't heal my mom's cancer. Instead of boisterous and strong this Christmas, I feel sad, weak, vulnerable. I keep shoving those feelings down. I'd rather pretend I'm okay, but I'm not. If you've read my blog, you'll know that I asked God to show me his presence this Christmas season. I suppose I had expected something mysterious and beautiful. Instead, I feel broken. I didn't expect him to take me to a place of vulnerability, dependence, need, but he has. But instead of fighting it, I'm working on embracing this hard place. It's my gift to Jesus this Christmas, acceptance and trust. I choose to let him into my broken places. In my weakness, I'm reminded that Jesus did the same for us. He embraced vulnerability, dependence, and ultimately brokenness for our good. What kind of God would step into our messiness I'm thankful for his presence in a whole new way this Christmas season. I wonder how often I've overlooked other people's pain at the holidays. It's inconvenient and messy to step into broken lives, but Jesus set the example, and I'm trusting him to lead the way. Painful days are exactly why God wrapped himself in flesh and came to be with us. If you're hurting, join me in inviting God into your painful days. If you're in a strong place, Look for those around you who are hurting this Christmas to show love and compassion to them. If you are in a hard place right now, God knows that. And he didn't come to, to take us out of all of those hard situations. That's, a, that's an Americanized version of Christianity that'd be a hard sell in places like China or North Korea or Afghanistan. We experience hard and difficult times in this life. But Jesus came to walk through those with us. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as I was pondering that idea, it reminded me of in the Old Testament when the 
the people of Israel were carried off into to Babylonian captivity. And God spoke in so many ways during that time. You can read a lot of them in, in the book of Jeremiah. But the essence of what God was saying to them is, don't worry guys, this isn't the end of the story. There is more. And he's saying the same thing to you here today. Whatever you might be facing, whatever you might be struggling with, this isn't the end of the story. There's something far better You know, I think that you and I have a tendency to imagine the Christmas story all wrong in so many ways. Think about it. Mary rode on a donkey the entire day. You know, I've heard older women talking to younger women who are great with child that, uh, you know, in in order to, to move the process along, you need to have your husband drive you over some railroad tracks. And I suppose there's some value to that, but I, I can't imagine the comparison of, of driving a modern car with modern suspension, suspension over railroad tracks compared with riding on a donkey an entire day. Not really very comparable. And Jesus was born in a stable. Not, not, a, not a recently disinfected, clean, scrubbed, clean room. No, no, this is a stable with animals and the, the smell of animals and the insects that, that animals attract. You know, the average evening temperature in and around Bethlehem this time of year is 50 degrees. I'm pretty sure they did not have a portable kerosene heater there in that stable. Do you remember remember when the angel told Mary she was going to have the baby? I find it interesting that that all of these details that I just mentioned weren't mentioned then. They just kind of happened, you know? When, when When our son David was born, has it really been 35 years? I can remember it in a lot of ways, like it was yesterday because it was not a good evening. Barb's doctor was not available. And so we were dealing with a doctor that we, and especially her, were not comfortable with. And they didn't have modern, comfy birthing rooms like they do now. Back then it was an operating room and the heat hadn't been turned on until we got there. And they laid her on a stainless steel operating table I still remember standing next to the table and she was shivering so badly and practically laying on top of her just trying to keep her warm. It was not a pleasant experience. But as, as much as all of that, those challenges that she had that night, they were nothing compared to what Mary went through. Honestly, I think if I was God, and you can all be glad that I'm not, all right? But I think if I was God, I would have... I would have changed some things. I would have done some things differently. I mean, if I'm going to send my son in human form, I'm going to at least give Mary a a chariot or a wagon to ride on? A donkey? Come on. I, I don't know for sure that I would have made Mary go through the pain of childbirth. The, the young girl that I've chosen to be the earthly mother of God, if you will, I don't 
that seems pretty traumatic in my mind. And I would have at least given them a, a, a clean room with maybe a tiled floor that had just been, been washed or something, and, and maybe a wood stove to keep them warm. God didn't give them any of those creature comforts. See, he didn't promise to take us out of all of the difficult situations that we face in life. Instead, at Christmas, he gave us something far better, far more amazing. He gave us Emmanuel. And Emmanuel does not mean that God is off in outer space someplace, out there. It doesn't even mean that he's over here a little ways. No, Emmanuel means, say it with me, God with us. Say it again. God with us. Regardless of what you might be facing in your life right now, God is with you. doesn't matter what kind of difficulty you might be encountering. God is with you. Emmanuel, he has promised to be with us whatever we're going through. He said he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. If there is the slightest bit of life left in you, and there is, he will nurture you. He will hold you. He will love you right where you're at. The old Christmas carol, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The God of the universe has come to be with us. Anne Voskamp, in her children's book, Unwrapping the Greatest Gift, describes the scene this way. God turned one last time as a baby inside Mary, and then the skin of very God slipped naked and small into hands that he himself had made. This is the birth of God. Who can find words? And then at last, all was calm, all was bright. This night, our rescuer has come. God has breathed, excuse me, God has visited our planet and we can breathe free. God is here. Jesus is born to you, to you. And when we sin and fall and trip and aren't happy with what God gives us, that's what sin is, thinking God isn't enough. Jesus never stops loving us. He comes and gives us himself. Isn't that the most amazing, greatest gift? See, the heartbeat of Christmas is that God has come to be with his people. He has made his home in you and me. He has promised to never leave us on our own. He has promised to come again and make all things new. He has promised us eternity with him. There is hope and joy and peace and love this Christmas. Because Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Emmanuel has come at just the right time. And God is now with us. Let's pray. Lord, we are so very, very thankful today 
that indeed you have come to be with us. That you haven't left us out here on our own, but instead, in all of our trials, all of our tribulations, all of the difficulties that we might face here and now, you have promised to walk through those with us. That indeed your abiding presence is there every step of the way. And God, we are grateful today and we thank you. Lord, we ask that we might recognize anew your presence in our lives in tangible ways. And we thank you that you'll do that because you are good and you are faithful. Amen. Amen.